Hello everyone, welcome to the PwC TaxBite podcast series. My name is as always Peter Dre and I'm happy to invite in my virtual recording studio today Jonathan de Ramey, Gilles Francis and Yves Geerts. Hello. Jonathan is not a tax expert, but he's here because he's uh, assisting large enterprises in their fit for growth uh, trajectory and manages uh, large end-to-end transformation projects. I invited Jonathan today to talk about business transformations, something that comes up in many discussions that we have with businesses. And I thought it would be good to dive a little bit into uh, some of the key topics in that discussion. And for that, I invited uh, Gilles and Evie. Evie will uh, enlighten us a bit on the international tax consequences and aspects, where Gilles will focus more on the transfer pricing aspect. So um, very welcome in my recording studio. Well, I just suggest that we kick it off. In, in, in many discussions, we have been talking on business transformation, but perhaps it's good, uh, Jonathan, if you can enlighten us a bit on the broader context from your perspective on this. All right, thanks, Peter, and uh, happy to be here. Um, what we've seen in the last year is that there have been many macroeconomic shocks coming to different companies. As a couple of years ago, we had COVID that we're still lingering with. We had the supply chain disruptions that came out of it. Um, inflation, energy, uh, ESG is high on the agenda. There are new technologies, so things are speeding up. And so this is leading uh, many companies to rethink how they are working, what they need to produce, etc. cetera. It's, it's, it's very transformative for them. And so I think today there's three areas that uh, we'd like to focus on, on things that really have major impact on how uh, organizations are working. Um, one of them is digital transformation. So the, the way that companies are interacting with customers, um, the way that um, they have their people do their work is changing dramatically through digital. It's giving new channels. It's giving new ways of working that are leading to efficiency, but also to different ways of interacting. There's also the entire element of uh, products that are evolving, becoming more digital, companies that are moving more to services around products or even completely to other services enabled by digital. So there's a there's a huge space there. I think the second topic, which is um, very impactful, is the entire war for talent. Um, finding the right people. Eh? Um, uh, the, the, the entire move of uh, so uh, workforces that are uh, retiring out of companies, um, making it more difficult to find new talent in that same location. So the need for flexible hire where talent is, etc. So this entire space of how are we going to staff our work in a different way with a different mindset is a, a second big area companies need to look at. And then three is the entire supply chain problematic. Uh, we know that the supply chain has been under a huge strain for COVID for the geopolitical problems that we had over the over the past months and years. So there's a, a huge redrawing of how we have to do supply chain, how we can move things more locally, how we manage the risk around global versus local. So this is the, the third big area where we see companies really looking to completely rethink how they operate. Thanks, Jonathan, for uh, giving us that uh, that context. Eh? You you nicely slice it up in three topics: eh? digital transformation, awful talent, talent, and changes in supply chain. So um, I suggest that we uh, look at them one by one, and and perhaps Jill to start um, looking at the tax aspects of digital transformation. What's your perspective to that? Yeah. So for 
digital transformation as i think jonathan you you introduced it quite well there's there's quite a few dimensions to it eh? so there's um the way in which um you go to market but there's also the way in which products are are becoming more digital essentially and for me from looking at it from a tax angle there's there's two key elements which all of these have in common which is one uh, that there's a big change in the value chain, which could impact uh, the taxable nexus and profit allocation. And then secondly, there's a potential recharacterization of payments, incomes compared to the, the traditional business uh, models which companies may have. And maybe I'll just give an, an example uh, on, on each of those um, from you know working with clients in going through these type of transformations. So maybe starting off with the first topic, um, which I mentioned around changes in value chain, uh, changes in taxable nexus, maybe using e-commerce as an example here. So um, within e-commerce, you you may not have the same margins as in as you would have in your traditional sales. That could be because you try to enter a new market segment. For example, you try to target smaller customers um, and that means, of course, that if the business you're operating is of a lower margin across the sort of system, uh, you can't leave the same level of profit for the local sales and marketing entities, which, you know, assuming that these are involved at all. And, you know, that, that brings us to the nexus element as well, because uh, from a nexus element, the, the local entity may not be involved at all uh, in this e-commerce sales process, you you might be billing and uh, organizing everything centrally, and that then gives opportunities from an efficiency and simplicity perspective on how you design the model. Um, of course, to the extent that there's still uh, local activities happening, there there is a need to consider on on how to remunerate this because that might be, as I mentioned, different to how your core model works. On the, the second topic on characterization of the payment and the income, so say we have a new digital product instead of a, a physical one, uh, that means that the sale may be characterized as a as a license, uh, which could result in, in withholding taxes on intra-group or, or um, customer transactions. Um, having a different type of products which you're developing might also mean that you can use different tax incentives, which which might all of a sudden become available to you. For example, if you create a, a virtual product, um, you might be able to to leverage patent boxes, um, um, which you might not have been able to use in your sort of traditional business. Um, of course, the the the, the characterization element is also relevant be, beyond the, the product dimension and also the, the business model such as e-commerce could um, you know, come into play in terms of the, the characterization question. But uh, I don't know, Avi, if, if you have anything to add on, on that from a sort of broader international tax perspective. Yeah, absolutely, Gilles. Two points. The incentive piece you mentioned is an interesting one because indeed, as you say, many jurisdictions have some kind of tax incentive linked to the creation of software or, or digital um, activities. <clears throat> but often 
um, some kind of nexus is uh, required to that jurisdiction to be able to benefit from those incentives. So um, in your overall tax strategy, it will be important to assess if and whether you can make or want to make use of those incentives. We all know that under Pillar 2, the type of incentives you um, use have an impact on your Pillar 2 calculation, and that will undoubtedly bring quite a bit of a shift in the overall um, incentives that are available as many um, tax authorities and, and governments are thinking through the incentives um, with a pillar two uh, lens, so to say. So um, that's the first one to really keep an eye on those incentives. How do we, they influence your decision and what will happen in the future? And then the second to it, one is, and I'll keep that short on withholding taxes. It is a hot topic throughout Europe and abroad. So make sure you understand the the differences, whether there is a withholding tax piece linked to your payment, the formalities you would need to fulfill, even if there is no withholding tax due, because the last thing you want is that you're caught by a 30% or more withholding tax payment on your um, revenue streams, which will give you a completely different model. And then lastly, let's not forbid, forget about the digital services taxes, but we will need to see what happens with Pillar 1 before we can give a conclusive answer. So that's Jill as a roundup on some of the international tax topics to think about, uh, incentives and withholding taxes being the most important one. Yeah, clearly digital transformation is a, an important aspect uh, of the debate. Uh, the second point was the war on talent, which is also quite often heard, I think, in, in various questions. So Evie, perhaps you can continue and enlighten us also a bit on the international tax aspects of uh, the wars for talent. Sure, happy to, Peter. Um, because it is indeed something we are confronted with on a daily basis, whether it's part of a large project or a small one of question. But um, the war for talent has um, influenced multinationals to really use all their ba bargaining chips in hiring people, whether it's whether it is attracting talent abroad offering them the opportunity to work for long stretches from abroad. Just think about the many hybrid and remote job opportunities you see today in the market. Um, again, while this is a welcome tool for HR and recruitment teams, it is important to make the link to your tax strategy, as there are a number of important tax implications to take into account if you just start hiring people across the board or where you can find the talent, so across borders. And, um, the most important one and, and the one we are confronted with on a daily basis is obviously permanent establishment or PE can be triggered um, quite easily. One person abroad could be sufficient to trigger a permanent establishment depending on his or her functions and what they do. But then obviously on top of that, you have personal tax and social security uh, liabilities and profit allocation, not to forget, because one person abroad might not overturn your total transfer pricing model. But um, if you um, have pockets of people abroad, that might be a different uh, conclusion. But we'll talk about that with Chile in a minute. And then, as I said before, once you start moving people, and you, um, for example, rely on incentives, tax incentives in your model, you also need to consider what the impact is there. A common example um, we are confronted with often is obviously your centralized group that has a large number of people, decision makers and important um, uh, people functions 
centralized in one jurisdiction and that are, for various reasons, struggling in uh, maintaining their workforce, hiring people in that same jurisdiction, um, or, or even confronted with situations where people ask to work from abroad or from their second home for long stretches of time. That can create a home office PE, either a material one or a place of management PE, and can lead to questions around profit allocation. From a personal tax perspective and social security perspective, obviously you have a timing to take into account, but from a corporate income tax perspective, um, there's no fixed timing linked to uh, the creation of a PE. So it is very important to upfront set a clear strategy together with the HR team on this. There are many things you can do with a lot is possible without any uh, major negative corporate income tax consequences, but you want to set that strategy up front rather than being confronted with it afterwards. So Jill, maybe handing it over to you, we have discussed cases in the past where solutions like regional hubs, branch models, employment companies are being considered, but the million dollar question remains, what is the tipping point before I have to alter my transfer pricing model? Yeah, and I think the the most common way i guess organization deal with having this dispersed workforce if you will uh looking at it from a transfer pricing angle is by allocating some sort of service fee uh, routine return for the services provided by the sort of dispersed workforce and usually that return takes the the form of sort of a, a markup on the costs of the the individual uh, of course, and, and you sort of alluded to it already, Evie, uh, it starts getting more challenging when key decision makers within the organization are moving outside the location of the central profit-owning entity. And one decision maker moving typically won't shift the dial too much as their, their personal bargaining power is linked to their salary. So it's it's more difficult to argue that in an intra-group context then that bargaining power of the employing entity of that individual, if you will, uh, is, is much higher all of a sudden. Now, of course, if you get to having a critical mass of those decision makers or a critical mass of, of people outside your central profit-owning uh, entity, now that that might require you to, to change the local returns of where these people are located and that could be for example, um, having a commission instead of a cost-based return, having a sort of kicker on your, your cost remuneration, uh, could even go into the direction of, of sharing uh, into a pocket of the profits. And in those situations, it becomes very, very critical for companies to have a government in structure in place upfront before uh, these, these moves of people start hap happening. Uh, on how to, to start measuring that critical mass and, and make sure that some guardrails are set in place basically to avoid unintended consequences uh, on the transfer pricing model and, and at least be very deliberate on uh, basically knowing what it means if um, the organization needs to hire from, from elsewhere. Okay. Thanks, Jill. Um, yeah, work for talent, really very important topic. I think the the third one that we touched on, and, and we still have time, I think, to also look a bit into the consequences of that is 
changes in the supply chain. So, Jill, perhaps you can continue and then also enlighten us a bit on that. Yeah, sure. And what's interesting about supply chain uh, is that you can see some different forces at play here. So, looking at it from a European point of view, uh, you you know have the high energy prices, which you know will will be familiar to to everyone. Um, and those are sort of re-energizing uh, in certain industries the the plans for for offshoring, for example. On the other hand, you you also have the trend of deglobalization, if you will. Um, you know, bringing certain production capacities back into Europe to to safeguard supply. Um, particularly noticeable also in in critical industries such as, for example, chip manufacturing. If you look at uh, some of the decisions of, of major uh, companies recently in investments into Europe, but also you know big investments into the U.S. Uh, from elsewhere, um, and you know this is of course fundam- a fundamental overhaul into the operating model, which has you know quite a few dimensions in terms of the the tax impact. So, for example, uh, if you look at the the move from your moving European manufacturing or production capacity uh, offshore outside Europe. Some of the elements which you might, you know, that that will come at play here are, for example, exit taxes, uh, if you move production capacity. Um, there's, of course, also the, you know, the, the proposed European carbon border adjustment mechanism, uh, which would put a levy on the import of carbon intensive products in certain sectors. So if those are produced elsewhere, with a heavier carbon footprint, there, there might be an additional levy when you bring those products back into Europe. Um, and then also an important one is that it, not all countries outside Europe allow for a, a simple lift and shift of the, the tax model, which uh, the group might be used to in Europe. For example, in, in Asia, certain structures such as working with variable royalties, which target a, a local return, those might not be possible at all. Uh, whereas the group might be used to to having some of those in in Europe. Um, if you look at uh, then the other dimension, so where production volumes are brought into Europe, um, again here there's the the in tax incentive angle, eh? so that could take the form of subsidies or tax incentive, um, and then also yeah, it you, you would have to see how the the investment frames within the the broader strategy of the group. And to see how how strategic is the the new investment and and what is the profit potential that is linked to it and by extension the profit that needs to be left into the European operations, um, and then you know the the big elephant in the room uh, when we talk supply chain there's of course a big indirect tax and, and customs impact when uh, there's there's changes in in supply in supply flows, um, all of these I think are are angles which which are fairly fundamental um, to be taken into account into the the business case when uh, thinking through some of these big transformational changes. Um, but perhaps Evi, you you can also um, add, add some of your thoughts on this one. Absolutely, Jill. Um, the one thing I would add is that one shouldn't underestimate the impact of pillar two. I think these items, uh, the exit taxation, um, the CBAM um, and the green taxation that is coming, the incentives that both the US and Europe are foreseeing in that field, 
fields will definitely play a role. But what is maybe less on the forefront, if you think about making your decision, is that um, global minimum tax impact. Obviously, um, shifting assets and shifting people will have an impact on your substance-based carve-out because that is based on capex and employment costs. So that could impact your potential top-up taxation. But also the complexity of accounting for PEs under the Pillar 2 rules, the impact of qualifying and non-qualifying tax incentives, and the asset transfers pre- and post-implementations of the rule rules, sorry, will have an overall impact on the tax cost that is actually associated with your new uh, supply chain model. So again, um, maybe not something you would think about uh, immediately when we say uh, supply chain transformation, but uh, another reason as a tax team to stay close to the business and make sure that you are involved in those discussions as from the beginning, because there are many relevant uh, factors to take into account. And again, items that can come with a significant additional tax cost. Well, thanks, Avi and, and Jill. So well, we touched on the, some of the key aspects, I think, uh, of the topic of today, eh? the digital transformation, the war on talent, the supply chain. And I think you very comprehensively uh, touched on some key tax aspects of that. We're just wondering, actually, now, uh, Jonathan, you as a non-tax expert uh, being more uh, uh, here in this in this podcast and hearing all of these these points, I just wonder. I'm curious. What are you taking from this? Yeah, I'm 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 always amazed on as a as a non-tax person. Eh, so always in the business talking to BU leads, VPs, etc. Tax is typically the last thing on our mind when we look at those transformations. Yet, eh, with what you hear today and what we often see is that. It's actually very strongly intertwined with the work that you want to do from a business point of view and can actually have a lot of impact on the ultimate value you can generate. Um, and so what, what Avi was saying, I think is absolutely true. I think tax needs to be brought in from the very start when we are drawing up these type of transformations when we're building the plan, just to make sure that all of these aspects are taken into account because there's a huge pocket of value you can win or lose based on the choice you make there. So for me, that's that's kind of the key takeaway. Eh? It's business and tax going hand in hand, driving these type of transformations from day one. Well, I couldn't have said it better, Jonathan. Uh, hand in hand, very, very right, very well put. Um, with that, I suppose we can close this podcast. I thank the audience for uh, tuning in. But uh, of course, also my speakers are uh, very, very uh Thanks for being here and, and sharing their views and thoughts. Stay tuned on this podcast and uh, we'll make sure that uh, all the relevant topics will be on the agenda in the next episodes. Thank you.